Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Randy? I'm doing fabulous. So this is our 35th episode. Can you believe it? We've been doing this now for 35 weeks. I can't believe that. You know, I mean, we decided to start this journey. We just kind of jumped off the cliff and said, here we go. And uh, it's been really a wild ride, I must say. It's been really fun and have learned a lot. And, um, you know, one of the things that I really wanted to do this podcast was just to kind of capture history and kind of get that in an archive. Uh, We have such a rich, thick and chocolatey history that isn't really getting documented. So I'm feeling like that's been a, a success to date so far from what I wanted to accomplish. Yeah, totally. Well, uh, I feel successful too. I mean, my, what I wanted to accomplish was to have a way for people who aren't necessarily connected to the Jamily to get to know the players and feel like they're more included. And uh, I think that we've definitely accomplished that. I've heard a lot of feedback from people who who maybe aren't regular tournament goers, but listen to the podcast while they're in their garage working away. Uh, and it, it helps them feel like they're part of the part of the sport and a part of the family. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And, and I think we're really um, pretty amazed at the engagement that we're getting. We're, we're coming up on our 10,000th download, which is uh, amazing. That, that is amazing. I didn't even know that. That is amazing. Wow. Cool. Yeah, we, Who would have thought? So has this, doing this podcast changed your perspective or your feelings about Freestyle Frisbee in any way? Wow, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think it it changes it depending on what episode we have done. Um, there's times where I'm like, oh, I really love the art of Frisbee and I really love the competition. And then there's times where I, I don't like the competition and I really would just want to just go out and jam. And so it's sort of interesting the different layers that uh, this podcast has exposed and how I see freestyle Frisbee on a day-to-day basis because it, it always is changing. How about you? Yeah, well, that changing thing is is very accurate for me, and it does depend a lot on who we've been talking to, but um, I've been thinking about freestyle. I mean, I thought about freestyle a lot before, but I've been thinking about it a lot more now, thinking about, I don't know, how can we make the judging system better? How can we be more fair? How can we bring in more players? How can we grow the sport, bring in money? What do, Or even, like, what do I really care about? I mean, to me, this is a social network more than anything else. And so maybe bringing in money isn't even what's important. And so it's kind of funny because sometimes I'll make a comment about uh, how do we get sponsors? And then other times I'm like, I have no interest in that at all. I just want to go jam with my friends and be a part of the community. So it's kind of funny how this is. It's almost like uh, being in the ocean and riding the waves doing this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, That's why I say it's just kind of. It, it's so layered because one minute I feel this way, but I can certainly see the other side five minutes later. <laughs> Depends on who we're talking to and, and what kind of energy that we're we're exploring. The one thing it has done is it's reinvigorated me to play more and to learn and become a better player. So I've been practicing a lot more than I was practicing before we started this podcast. And I did not expect that at all. I would, I agree. I didn't expect that either. You know, I kind of felt like I kind of hit a certain place where I was comfortable and I've certainly pushed myself 
uh, a little bit more to explore some more nooks and crannies that I had kind of shut the door on. And yeah. All right. Well, with that out of the way, <laughs> who do we have on the docket, Randy? Well, speaking of exploring uh, nooks and crannies, we're going to finish up here with Deaton Mitchell, and he's going to start off by telling us what he thinks his hardest move is. So here we go. So maybe you've already answered this, but what is the hardest trick you've ever done? Hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. I might have answered that. Probably the, uh, the, the double leg over behind the back delay. Uh, but then you can't stop there. <laughs> uh, one that I remember hitting in Fort Collins when uh, me and Jim and Daryl went up there in 83 and uh, we won pairs and we won co-op, uh, which was, you know, it's, that was a great thrill for us. But do the double leg over behind the back delay. So you have it on your right hand and it's spinning you have it controlled and pop it straight up and take a behind the back rim with your left hand and you swing it under both legs to a double leg over down so i don't know if you're visualizing this and i could always email you a if i could find a video of it i have a video from santa cruz where i actually missed it and it hit the turf but uh anyway that was uh part of it and I don't know. I can't really place the single most difficult uh, combo. I used to be real heavy into inverted delays and would uh, do some stuff off of that. Uh, Donnie and Alan really heavily influenced me on doing a lot of that stuff. But um, I I really can't think of the single most difficult trick. Uh, I'll help you out here, Deaton. It's putting it down. Oh, goodness. <laughs> you, uh, yeah, putting the Frisbee down. So did you invent any tricks? I know you did. just talked about the double leg over behind the back delay. Just That's the only one that I can almost, almost assuredly, I invented that. Because I showed it to Joey and I showed it to Donnie and they both tried it and didn't hit it when I saw it. They may have done it at some point in their life after that. But, um, yeah, I was pretty proud of that. I'm pretty sure I invented that. And then I used to do a with clock a left leg over it's out on an airbrush and you swing your left leg high over the disc and your body is rotating and hit um a heel brush which i'd never seen anybody else do so i thought i had invented it and then i saw john jewel uh do it out in california actually john jewel i think did a left leg over right foot brush then a right leg over left foot brush then the leg over heel brush I just described, all consecutive with no no the brushes in between those three. So um, I never I thought I invented it, but I don't think so. <laughs> I never saw anybody else do it. And um, Alan told me about the spinning leg over uh, chair that Donnie was doing and I never saw Donnie do it, but I said, okay, that sounds reasonable. And then I started doing that. It kind of became a signature move. So I got that video out there, a nice grainy one out there on my, uh, my YouTube page that has all the four videos on it. But anyway, I, I did not invent that. Alan told me that Donnie was doing it. The only one absolutely I am assuredly invented was the double leg over behind the back delay. Yeah, Alan mentioned that one, he, the the leg over chair. He said he told you about it, and then you went and did it better than anyone else had ever done it. Alan has a good memory. I'm going to tell you, we uh, 
it's funny when we're like on Facebook and reminiscing about stuff. Uh, Alan and I seem to kind of try to one up each other on who remembers exactly what. I got to give the boy props. He uh, he has an excellent memory, but I I couldn't believe that uh, he actually remembers telling me about that move. All right, I'm impressed. Officially. Yeah, he he's a database. You're a database. Rob Freed's a database. We're lucky to have you databases around. I'll tell you that. Yeah, Roger Meyer calls uh, Rob the human hard drive. That's right. That's right. He's the hard drive. So, Deaton, um, could you tell us a little bit about what it was like to play with Gina Sample and, and winning the mixed division with her? Uh, yeah, uh, Gina's amazing human being and an amazing frisbee player uh she was um part of the austin frisbee contingent i believe gina was originally from el paso and uh when i first met her was the spring of 1984 and bob coleman who you know is a really good friend of mine and really a student of the game was telling me about we have this new girl coming out, Gina, and she can do this, and she does this. She does against the spin. And, you know, of course, she wasn't the Gina that you saw evolved in the mid-'90s when she was not only, you know, the best woman going in, but one of the top players. She was unreal. She was so graceful and so flexible and just had a, you know, really good mind for the game. I met her in 84 and she had some success with John Howe, like in a big upset in 85 in Minneapolis. They did this incredible routine. It was completely scripted and it wasn't really, there wasn't a lot of difficulty, but boy, you could see the sweat hours that they had put into it. This was 84. Okay. They won mixed pair. So John kind of was mentoring, mentoring her Gina really wanted to shred. Her individual game was was blossoming. She really wanted to peel out. So we started chatting, and uh, we decided in 1986 that we were going to play the World Championships together, which ended up being in Fort Collins. So but Gina and I started to put together our routine. We took it to Minneapolis, and uh, we were seated third or fourth, um, Carolyn and Bill had just won mix the previous year, and then Chris Ryan and Anzamitis were there, and they'd just finished uh, third at the U.S. Open. Um, Chris and Ann just had a phenomenal routine and uh, finished third in the overall. Well, Gina and I, in what I guess could be considered an upset, won Minneapolis. So that was kind of the start with Gina. And then uh, we went to Fort Collins, and between Minneapolis and Fort Collins, Gina and I did that routine about a thousand times. And Gina, like, I was like, Gina, whenever you get your individual combos, I want you to rip. I want you to do the stuff that I see you do when we're jamming. And she was like, yeah, you know, really kind of liking the vibe. And, I mean, we really put the work in. And, um I do have a copy of the 86 finals, and I think we played better in the semis. So we won in 86. And then, you know, after 86, basically after that tournament, that's the tournament Gina and I won, and uh, Jim and I had won the pairs. And that was basically the end of my hardcore freestyle career. Well, when I started to dabble in it back in 
the 90s. That's when I met you in Seattle, Randy, in uh, 93. I kind of reconnected with Gina. I saw her. She played... she played with Jan Ekman, I think. But Gina was just like at a, at a different level. Anyway, in 94, when the FBA Worlds was in Santa Cruz, that's when Gina won with Rodney. But I think Rodney was playing with Bethany in Mixed, I do believe. So, like, I get my opportunity. Like, I'm like, Gina, do you want to play Mixed, you know? So, basically, in 94, I kind of uh, attached myself to the Gina sample express and kind of rode her superior jamming skills into my last world championship in 94 and that was you know very 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 gratifying and um i was very fortunate to be able to to play with gina I knew we were going to talk to you today, and so I was looking at 94 results, and, and I didn't realize that Gina had won that year with Rodney as well. So that was a huge year for her to win open pairs and mixed pairs, and I think still the only woman to have won an open pairs title. I do believe she finished second in co-op, too. Wasn't she playing maybe with Arthur and Dave? I, I think Gina was, she was a force. One more thing. I know you guys got to get. I'm sure you got things to do. But uh, I'll tell you, the nicest guys of the the high-level players when I was coming up. Well, Roger Meyer was a great guy, I remember, uh, being real giving. But the Velasquez brothers, you know, with all the smack talk going on and the infighting or whatever, I never heard those guys say a bad word about anybody. They were like, the class act. And, you know, I told you the totally. story about the guys totally. that I saw the first time I ever saw a, a real nail delay. But years before that, like in 76, they actually used to have Frisbee that would come on TV, uh, Wide World of Sports, and that there'd be like Frisbee and East Coast versus West Coast. And that's the first time I ever saw actual freestyle. And then it was, it was on TV, so it was so distant and so removed from anything that I thought I could possibly do. And of course, you knew who it was. It was the guys with the muscles and the tan and the good hair just out there just ripping the Velasquez brothers. Well, that's great. We really, really thank you, uh, Deaton, for spending some time with us. This has really been great. Oh, this is my pleasure, guys. I I was just as thrilled as I could be that, uh, you uh, reached out to me, and uh, I'm honored. I, I think, man, I'm just loving what you guys are doing. Thanks, Deaton. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, guys. Have a great day, okay? Bye. Bye-bye. Wow, well, what a treat to get to do the deep dive with Deaton Mitchell and kind of hear some of the Bayou Blaster history. And and thank you, Deaton, again, for joining us on, on Shooting the Frisbees. So, Jake, I, I have a question for you. So, Jake, what is your hardest move? Um, well, that's an interesting question. I guess I could answer it a couple of different ways. What's the hardest move that I've ever done versus what's the hardest move that I can do on a regular basis? And so I'll start with the hardest move that I've ever done because I think there's a clear answer to that. So in 2007, probably, I was at the WIFDIF in Ithaca, New York, and I uh, was doing a, like a demo with Tommy and Stork. And Tommy threw me one of his spanker throws which, of course, if you've never gotten one of those, it has more Zs than just about anything else. And he threw it at just the perfect skid angle. So I ended up doing skids, and I did seven. I did my like my patented four-skid combo, 
and it was still rip and spin. So I did three more after that and then set it up into a double spin catch. And it was like, I didn't think that seven skids was possible off of a throw, but poof, I just did it. <laughs> it was amazing. And then my hardest move that I can do on a regular basis, um, that's a toughie, but I'm going to go with the cuff overs. UD, right hand, set it to the left hand on a 45 degree angle and do a Saturn pull. Even better if you can do it under the leg restricted, but I, my percentage goes down when I restrict it. And then right hand cuff at three o'clock and it will just turn over to counter right side up and shoot out. Whenever I do that, people just, their jaws drop and they're like, what, what did you just do? <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> so Yeah, I, lo- I love that move. That is a good one because it's, it's that surprise. You know, people don't expect it to come shooting out when it's at that weird angle where it shouldn't fly. And then all of a sudden it starts flying. Yeah. Totally, yeah. totally. So what about you, Randy? What's your hardest move? Well, again, that is a, that's a really tough question when you've been playing for 40 years. <laughs> or like, what is my hardest move? I, I would, the thing that comes to mind, like just right off the top, I don't know if it's my hardest move, but it's certainly one that I find really difficult. And I don't do it too often. I, I really mainly do it in routines, but it is the OSIS tip. And the window of opportunity is so small and you've got to fully commit because there is no, there is no other out except to tip it and just fall down to the ground. But the thing that was really challenging about it, it was a hard move to do just on its own, but to do it repetitively. So when you're working on a routine and you got to do it over and over and over is like, man, my right hamstring would be so overstressed. Um, but you had to do it because you couldn't, it's not a move that your partner can kind of imagine. They have to see where it releases and where to go get it. So you had to commit to doing it. So I would say the OSIS tip uh, for this discussion. For this discussion. Yeah, I haven't seen you do that one in a long time. I remember when we were working on co-op with Dave Lewis and he was like, Randy, you have to do the OSIS tip. I love that move. And it didn't make it into the routine. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I'm not sure why either. But yeah, I haven't done it in a while because it's 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 very stressful. Yeah, uh, on the on the body. Maybe I'll go out and do it today. I don't know. You should, and you should film it and put it up on YouTube because a lot of the young kids are going to jaw drop and then they're going to learn it, and then you'll be off the hook for being the only person in the world who can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I always, just, I, you know, I just want to be off the hook. Period. You're right. always off the hook, Randy. That's what I love about hanging out with you. Yeah, off the hook. Okay, well. I think that that's going to wrap it up for this episode. And as as always, folks, go up and like our Facebook pages and share them because it helps the engagement and sign up for the newsletter and, and all that other good stuff because it really helps spread the word and, and helps keep the lights on here. So, Jake, I will talk to you later. Yep, talk to you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us,